would you mind if we like grab a drink and ask about your shoes or something like that? And her response was extraordinary. She goes, wait a minute, you are thinking about making shoes for nurses? I've been a nurse for 10 years and I still can't find a pair that I get a bottle of wine ready and I'll be over in a little bit. And me, her, and my wife sat around talking uh, for two hours over uh, a bottle of wine, sharing her experience with footwear. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Hello, hello. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, Today's a good one for anyone that's looking to do something in e-commerce or launching a direct-to-consumer brand. I have the co-founder of Bala Shoes, Brian Lockhart, and his story is really interesting. He's an ex-Nike guy who did research on an opportunity to go after shoes for nurses. Yep, nursing shoes. Not Crocs, but actually trying to be something a little bit more aspirational. And after talking to 500 nurses, he came up with this idea. And him, along with his co-founders, they were able to, in their first week, do seven figures in sales, doing actually 5x what Allbirds did. So he talks about his story of what he messed up with when he started fundraising, what worked to get them to seven figures in a week, and some struggles he's had as a first-time entrepreneur that's trying to turn an idea into something. So... Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Oh, and full disclosure, I am an angel investor in Bala Shoes, so I'm very biased in it. So just want to say that up front, but really hope you liked today's episode. Brian, I'm beyond excited to have you here. But first, I'll let you introduce yourself if you want to say your, your name and, and what you do. Sure. Thanks for having me, Jim. So my name is Brian Lockard. I'm one of the three co-founders of Bala Footwear based here in Portland, Oregon. And we make premium footwear designed for nurses. Yeah, and I was actually introduced to you from my sister because you all worked together in, was it Chicago where you guys worked together? No, back in New York. That was 10 years ago. I had just finished uh, my MBA and was working in one of those post-MBA rotational programs at J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, my final uh, rotation was in a group up in New York called the Digital Marketing Group. And uh, that's where I worked with Katie for about a year. And 10 years later, she makes the connection to us. Gosh, took her long enough. I'm excited to get into that path of what led you from essentially working in the world of finance to nursing shoes. But I just want to come out of the gate strong because your growth has been phenomenal. It's been really exciting to see you kind of take off. But I want to go back to almost square one. How did you even come up with the idea for Ball and Nursing Shoes? Yeah, for sure. It was interesting. My co-founder, John, and I had both been out of Nike for a couple of years and had been interested in starting a footwear brand. And we're just kind of like looking for different categories where there was somebody who was being underserved. And so we were exploring and came across healthcare and dug a little deeper and came across more specifically nursing. And the the only challenge was we didn't really know anything about nurses aside from they were there for us like the handful of times I've gotten sick or injured and end up in the hospital. And so we made our goal in 2019 just to talk to as many nurses as we could. And that was April 
of 2019. And over the course of the rest of the year, we spoke to four or 500 nurses before deciding that we were going to find a third co-founder, incorporate the business and all that. But it was really interesting, those moments that tell you that you might be onto something. When we first started looking, I just thought, who do I know who is a nurse? Uh, you know, because at Nike, we spent you know, our time working with athletes. And it wasn't like I came from the healthcare community and had a whole bunch of nurses I used to call. So one of my wife's best friends, this woman named Amy, also named Amy, who is a nurse at Oregon Health Sciences University here in Portland. I thought, oh, she, she's a nurse. I'll give her a call. And so I said, hey, like, I'm looking into this idea to make shoes for nurses. Not really sure if it's got legs, but would you mind if we like grab a drink and ask about your shoes or something like that? And her response was extraordinary. She goes, wait a minute, you are thinking about making shoes for nurses? I've been a nurse for 10 years and I still can't find a pair that I get a bottle of wine ready and I'll be over in a little bit. And me, her and my wife sat around talking uh, for two hours over uh, a bottle of wine sharing her experience with footwear. And that was extraordinary. I mean, she had been actively looking for better shoes for 10 years and had been through clogs, had been through running shoes, tried Birkenstocks, and nothing really served her. So that was a really good early indicator that we were onto something. And the remainder of the nurses we connected with showed us that there's absolutely an opportunity for a company to do this. That's amazing. So first, how did you even stumble upon wanting to go down the path of nurses as the persona that you want to target. Do you mean instead of going more broad? Yeah, because even before you did the 500 interviews, which I want to talk about, that's amazing. How did you hone in on nurses? Were you reading something or were you just thinking of different personas? And you're like, hey, this one seems interesting. Let me get more insights. The reason why I call that out is because I think that people have ideas, but they also are looking for some. So I'm trying to see how you uncovered that nurses would be where you'd want to go. Yeah, well, we were studying healthcare more broadly. And we saw that nurses were the single largest segment of healthcare workers. There's about 21 million healthcare uh, professionals in the United States. About 5 million of them are nurses. So that looked like a good place to start. And what we found as we did the research was that nurses are the complete super users of people who are on their feet all day, have high needs from their shoes, and actively you know, look for something better because they need performance from their footwear. And so what we found was that it was the largest single group and that largest single group had the most extreme needs. Great place to start with any product is to go to that extreme user. Because if you design for somebody who has extreme needs, you're going to serve a lot of other people as well. So it gave us the focus and gives us the kind of the biggest runway as we grow this company. Wow. So you saw the market size being it's the largest group. So you're doing the quantitative analysis and then you're actually talking to them, which we'll, we'll, we'll get fancy, call it the qualitative analysis. And what's nice is you're actually solving a problem. This isn't just like another kind of shoe brand, but it's truly knowing a persona, seeing that they have a pain point, the fact that she's been searching for the ideal shoe for years. You're like, wow, I think we're onto something. So you First off, so many people are so quick to just start an idea. You do the research first, which is so smart. At what point is it after talking to 500 nurses, 1,000 nurses, are you like, okay, this is so obvious. We have to go all in. Is it striking lightning on you? Like, When did you decide to make that move to go 100% into this? 
That's an interesting question because there's there's the moment that you say it. There's the moment when you kind of subconsciously know it that you, you might go in, but you reserve expectations. And there's also the moment when you actually do it. So I think after that initial conversation with Amy from OHSU was when I really believed in the opportunity. After the full summer of 2019, having traveled around the country, talking to various nurses, I really, truly was convinced there was an opportunity. And then once we found our third co-founder, Caprice Neely, who's one of the, who had spent 25 years at Nike as one of the leading designers, was when I believed that we could really do it. And it was time to go all in. So we had done the research, we had the team, and my life was set up so that I could do a startup. Right. And when you say your life was set up, because you were working at Nike, you then started freelancing. So while you're freelancing, doing your own thing, on the side, you're doing research for Bala. And then that allows you to kind of, at your own pace, decide when you want to transition to go all in. Is that kind of the order of how you're able to work towards Bala? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I had been doing all sorts of freelancing from doing strategic planning, consulting with companies in footwear and apparel to doing digital marketing. And it's interesting. There's this moment in going into a startup where you decide that you're not turning back. And it's interesting the clarity that you find when you stop doing other things and decide that you're going to focus 100% on this business. And again, like in, in the startup world, I, I think there's different schools of thought on this. Some would say, go all in so you have that focus. Others would say, keep a side gig so that if you don't have uh, huge sums of money behind you, you've got the, the personal runway to keep it going. And for me, it was late September of 2019 when I stopped doing any other freelancing and made this my full-time gig. And the the focus that I got from having this be my only my only job and the pressure that comes from I've got to make this happen or I have to go back to applying for jobs as a regular working person is an interesting combination of motivators that I think was really helpful in getting this company from zero to one, from nothing to something that people wanted to join. Yeah, there's so much power in being able to focus on just one thing and being able to go all in. And at this point, are you self-funding this and you're going all in and you're just kind of living off of cash you've built up from previous careers? Or did you start to fundraise then? Just so, so people know that are going all in from a financial standpoint, how did you approach that situation? Yeah, great question. And again, I think there's all different schools of thought, you know, on this. I had saved not a huge sum of money, but enough money to live for six to nine months without making anything and not losing our apartment or anything. The first thing I did, though, was I went and talked to my wife and we had the discussion about whether a startup was something that was good for us as a, as a couple, because I'm a husband first. And us doing the things that we want to do as a couple together is most important. So we had the chat and I think that that was one of the more important moments for me because she said, hey, it's been a couple of years where our income has been a little bit rocky because she's a business owner as well and was in the startup phase as, as well. And so it, it created a lot of uncertainty for us. But she said, she told me, I know that you really want to do this. 
And I know it's going to create a tough six to nine months for us, but I believe in you. So let's go do this. And one, I'm just like so grateful for her for giving me that support while recognizing that it was going to make things hard and amp up the pressure on both of us. But that was super important. And then from there, I I was able to to get going. And so it was kind of funny. We we didn't really, like I'm a first time, you know, founder. And so in early fundraising, we didn't really know what we were doing. We tried to start raising way too early, like before we had a product or even a meaningful prototype. (laughs) So we were all trying to raise money and didn't really have anything. So those conversations were, were interesting. But moving forward, once we, we focused on having the right team together. Yeah, I agree. The best life hack is having the right partner, the right spouse. Just because if you can be on the same page to be able to do what you want to do and kind of help each other out, it is it makes such a huge difference in being able to go down that path as being a founder. And the fact that you guys, you two are both founders, I'm sure the pillow talk is really exciting as you're talking about customer acquisition costs and burn rates and all that fun stuff. That's super exciting. So you're on the same page with your wife, you're going all in on this. And whenever I was introduced to this brand for my sister, it's like, oh, Brian's doing nursing shoes. I'm okay, that doesn't sound very exciting. But then I saw the brand. I saw the website and I'm like, wow, this is really slick. This is very aspirational. It's very obvious that you and your co-founders have this background working at Nike and being able to build a premium brand. Could you speak to the influence that working at Nike, which everyone knows is just, I mean, they just nail it every year with how they do branding and marketing, the impact that had on informing the brand and design for Bala? Yeah, I spent about five years at Nike, and I'm so grateful for the time I got to spend there because I learned so much. And there are so many reasons why that company is as successful as it is. And my personal opinion is that the, the biggest thing that I learned there is the importance of the emphasis on customer focus. That sounds like a very business schooly way of saying something, but the intense focus on the customer there is unlike anything I've ever seen. There, there's a phrase people use, always listen to the voice of the athlete. And people repeat it in meetings. It's written in like gigantic print inside the Mia Hand building where all the sport and research labs and innovation centers are. And it, it's a mantra that people follow that is core to the company. And I, I really got to see in those five years how valuable it is to, when you start, put the customer at the center, deeply focus on their needs and every element of the business and focus all your decisions on what you want to do for them. So when we created Bala, we didn't start by creating a product. We started by going out and finding our customers and talking to them and understanding not only their product needs, but what it's to see the world through their eyes, what it's to actually be a nurse. If it wasn't for the pandemic, we, we would have you know, gone into hospitals during the early prototyping process and and done walk-alongs with them on their shifts. But but we spent so long trying to understand our customers. And now as we run the business, our mission is to make nurses feel like the most respected professionals in the world, because we saw very early on that nurses have been misrepresented, overlooked, and quite frankly, disrespected in a lot of ways. And we seek to change that. And so as I look at different areas of the business, I ask myself in every question, how are we making nurses feel the most respected professionals in the world in every single way from how we represent them in the brand 
to how we allocate budget. It's all about that core purpose. And I'm so grateful that I got to see that at Nike because it's been a cornerstone of our success here at Bala. That's a really good takeaway. I mean, it's so obvious when people say be customer centric, focus on the customer or in Nike's case, focus on the athlete. But it's it's so true. And the companies that do it well, it shows. And when, I mean, I want to get into your launch strategy and the content that you guys make because it's it's really good. And it's so focused on the customer and everything. But I like this framework of looking at startups from this from three phases of idea, traction, and growth. So we know about the idea, you did the research, and you've formed this team where it's yourself and your co-founders have this unfair advantage in working at Nike, knowing footwear extremely well. So you've got the team, you've got the idea. Talk about getting traction because you see the market opportunity. When did you start to be like, wow, we have something that people want? Would you say that's in the form of your your pre-launch where you're pre-selling it? Or was it even before that where you're getting confidence that, hey, these nurses are actually going to buy this shoe? We In our product development process, we had 50 samples that we um, sent to a team of nurses around the country that formed the most representative sample that we could find of nurses from an age, you know, race, gender standpoint. And they provided feedback, which was overwhelmingly positive. But most importantly, they they shared things they didn't like as well and enabled us to make a better product than we could have on our own. And then so we're heading into our pre-launch in September, which was such an interesting time to think about because you know it was still the depths of COVID in September of 2020. The, the entire West Coast was blanketed in smoke and the air quality index in Portland was actually the worst in the world for two weeks straight. And so when I think about the things that our, like, our team was able to overcome to get that pre-launch started, it was extraordinary. You get the community-based marketing going, you amplify it with an influencer that is so aligned with your customer and then you launch and you have this breakout success. And so, wow, we really have traction. And me, so full disclosure, I I said this at the beginning, but I've worked with a lot of DTC brands. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen it go well, not well. And I see what you're doing and I'm like, oh my Lord, this is phenomenal. I'm not even an angel investor at this point, but I am now. And I'm please take my money just because I see the traction. And can you talk about, was this intentional to show those signals to go out and do fundraising? Or were you prepping people beforehand, just so people that are looking to raise money, the takeaways they can have, because you're showing that narrative of this chart going up and to the right with the sales and growth to where it makes it a no brainer. But how does this launch align with the narrative of fundraising? Yeah. So if you rewind a year or a year and a half to our discussion earlier, when I said we were out fundraising way too early, when like we didn't even have a good prototype or anything. It was ridiculous asking people for money. But we, we got really good counsel on how to put together a, a funding round. And our, our strategy became to raise small friends and family or angel round in Q2 of 2020 to get the cash we needed to operate through the end of 2020, where our core milestones would be to complete the product and test, complete the product, test it with a group of consumers to prove that it was good, and then to run a, a presale to run traction. Like th- those are the three milestones you really need to get to a meaningful funding round. 
And so whereas in our initial efforts, we were out trying to raise a ton of money without having really proven anything, we never really stopped connecting with consumers so or connecting with investors. So once we closed that first round, we knew that we were going to raise another round in Q4 to give us runway through probably the end of 2021, where we proved that this was a scalable company by hitting some financial milestones. But the thing that we did differently was we began socializing the raise in the middle of the summer and talking to people like yourself to offer up the opportunity that we were going to be raising later. And that here are the and that these were the milestones that we would be looking to accomplish before opening that round. And to any seasoned startup people, I probably sound like such an amateur here, but like the, this was a good fundamental for people raising money for the first time. Getting out and having discussions when the ask at the end of the discussion isn't so are you in, it changes the dynamic of the discussion completely to where an investor or a potential investor is able to share with you, that sounds great, come back to me when you're raising, or that sounds interesting, I'd also want to see this milestone to be interested. And in the process of socializing it and getting that feedback, you're able to you know, gather really useful feedback that not only helps you prepare for a successful raise, but you know, honestly helps you decide, make decisions about the business. I personally really enjoy the fundraising process or that, that process because I got such fantastic feedback from people with all sorts of with all sorts of experience. So initially connecting with you, Jim, as somebody who's worked to direct to consumer companies, the you asking questions about our strategy and what milestones are hitting opened my eyes to different things we need to be prioritizing. One of our other investors is a former CFO and the questions that he asked helped me see the unit economics a little bit differently. And it just helped prepare me. So the takeaway is to be out there talking to people and listening well before you actually need to make an ask, because it makes the actual fundraising so much easier. Absolutely. And, and building those relationships, letting them be a part of the journey to see the narrative, because a lot of times investors want to have these checkpoints like, okay, I talked to you three months ago, I talked to you today, what has changed? What have you done? And every time I talk to you, it, it's really exciting because there's so much going on. So back to this framework of you have this idea, you clearly have some insane traction. The next phase is growth. And one thing that I think about as I'm wanting to grow something is a lot of companies, when they start, they think they have to figure it out and be like, oh, I've got to figure out Facebook ads. I've got to figure out that sustainable channel. And the truth is you can launch on the back of these kind of bursts, these events to be known, and then you can figure out those other more repeatable and scalable ways to grow. So now that you're, you're known, you, you've got customers and you've got customers buying more and more shoes and you're going to this growth phase, what are you focused on to go to that next level of growth? That's a really interesting question. There are so many different areas that we can go to hit our, to, to hit a next growth stage. And it's an interesting time that we started this company in that it's been a COVID 15 months where our team um, has been seldom able to get together. We've been seldom able to connect to our customers like one-to-one. And we've been really limited to connecting over the internet, which is useful and it's not complete. And so as I think about 
the way we're looking at growth in the next stage, I go back to our, our consumer insight and how can we make nurses feel like the most respected professionals in the world? And in terms of how we go about reaching our, our growth potential, it, it all comes back to that. So, I mean, there's a million different tactics we can use, obviously enabling you know, our existing customers to share with their friends is core. Enabling using the data that we have to understand who's buying and where opportunities is core. But where I look at the real opportunity is to, as the world opens up, is to get out into the world again and continue talking to our customers. One of those, there was a great story the other week. One of our advisors, who's a nursing executive that has been great counsel to me, gave me a call and said, Hey, I was volunteering at a COVID vaccination site and I noticed one of the other nurses was wearing balls. So I went and asked her how she liked them. And I and she said she loves them. And then our advisor says, what would you like better? And the nurse says, well, I, I really like the fit, except they press on the forefoot a little bit around the laces. And so our advisor, Bonnie, gives me a note and says, hey, here's what I heard from a nurse. I wanted you to know this was something that was an issue. And you know, one of our biggest priorities that I want to demonstrate to nurses is that we want to hear not only what you love about the shoes, but what you want better because we co-create with nurses. That's why the product is so great is because we've listened to nurses. And the fact that our advisor, Bonnie, knew to ask what can we do better and then sent it to me was amazing. And so kind of a long-winded way of getting at your question of, I want to get our company out into the world and connecting with nurses on a one-to-one -one basis so that we can show them how much we want to partner with them and connect with them on a, on a, real, on a deeper level so that we can see what the next opportunity is in nursing. But I, I don't aspire to be a one skew company. We, we want to serve nurses in a lot of ways. And we do that by getting out in the world and having conversations. That's exciting. And you know, just continuing to be customer centric. One thing I've been wanting to ask, how did you come up with the name Bala? Like as a 90s rap enthusiast, I, I like it because I think Bala Shakala, but that's probably not the intent. But I'd love to know how you came up with the name. Yeah, the, the name Bala comes from the phrase impossible balance. And when we were talking to customers in our earliest focus groups, this, this theme of impossible balance kept emerging of nurses are pushed and pulled and stretched in different directions. COVID is a great example where early in the pandemic, people were talking about the challenge that nurses had of caring for themselves and staying safe versus going into the working environment and caring for their patients. There's an inherent tension there. Outside of a pandemic, there's a tension between having a, a lot, honestly, like a social life and being a nurse because the hours are so difficult. And there's all this tension. And so we acknowledge that impossible balance that nurses deal with every single day through the name Bala. And we, we seek to serve them so that that impossible balance is maybe just a little bit easier to navigate. That's cool and much more thoughtful than just a 90s rap lyric. So well done. So this looks pretty easy, Brian. You came with this idea, you talked to 500 nurses, you found an influencer, you launch, you do a million in sales in under a week, you raise money. That looks so easy, right? But as a first-time founder and you look back on, I know you still have a long road ahead, what's been kind of the most unexpected challenge you've had in this journey? 
That's a that's such an interesting question. And I'll, I'll kick it off with one of my favorite books, which I think you recommended to me actually, was The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And there's a great line in that where he says, in startups, there's only two emotions, euphoria and horror, and both are enhanced by lack of sleep. And that, that's, that's pretty true, actually. But to get to the point, the thing that I didn't anticipate was how important it is to, and this is another thing that Horowitz talks about in his book, is managing your own psychology. Being a founder, even having two co-founders like I do, managing your, your own emotions, understanding your emotions and, under, and responding to them in a healthy way is a real challenge. To found a company, you have to pour yourself into it completely. You, ha- you, you have to be all in, like I discussed before. And there's an inherent tension in that. One of the things I didn't anticipate struggling with was how hard it would be to like turn it off and be present in other areas of my life. It's hard. I wake up thinking about this. I go to bed thinking about it. When out on the weekend with my wife, I'm trying not to think about it so I can be present, but it's it's a hard thing. And emotions feel bigger in startups because it's an inherently personal thing. When you say that this team that we are starting is coming together, this is us. It was just very different when I was working at JP Morgan Chase or Nike, where I was working for someone else, for an established brand that somebody had done versus this. And so just the challenge of like managing feelings and emotions in a really healthy way is something that I continuously work on and that I didn't anticipate at all. That's really well said. I mean, that's why I am making myself have hobbies to have a life outside of work. Kids kids are good for that because they're fun and they can make you get your mind off of it. But I agree. It's sad. I wake up, I look at my phone. Before I go to bed, I look at my phone all around work. It's, it's unhealthy and it's something that needs to be managed. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. I don't know. It's experiencing... Like this weird emotion where you feel you should always be, because there's always something you can be doing, right? You and I have spoken about like coming in on the weekend to get the stuff done that you can get to during the week, being responsible for a host of different things. It's hard to turn off and there's, you can deal with the feelings of guilt when you're not trying to make something better or whatever. It's, it's hard. (laughs) It's so much fun. I love this so much. And it's so hard in a really interesting way. Yeah, it makes you work every single brain cell you have and understand self-awareness. And yeah, that's a really good call out. So I want to do a couple just quick kind of speed round questions as far as what are some of your favorite tools as like a D2C brand that you like? You're on Shopify. You've got that. I'll let you speak to any of the the tech stack you like. But any tools that jump out, you're like, oh my gosh, we couldn't live without this. Oh my goodness. Like Shopify, number one. The... Shopify makes it so much easier to launch uh, an e-commerce business and enable all of the back-end things that need to happen to run smoothly. And then there's just this interesting ecosystem of companies that have been created to plug in to Shopify. Like we use Clavio as our CRM, which is really powerful, has flexible pricing, and enables us to target our marketing based on consumer behavior. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, I would say those are two of my favorites. And then the plug for the, I think actually my favorite one though, is Carta, which is our cap table management software. 
I think that company is amazing. Like we're able to manage all of our investments, scenario plan, future rounds, manage investor relations. I mean, it's really a founder's best friend, I would say Carta. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to plug them so hard. I probably sound like an ad, but I, I absolutely love Carta. That really is. And I'm going to hit them up. Maybe we can get them to throw some money at this episode. So thank you for that. But I actually agree with that on, I mean, Clavio and Shopify, obvious. And I totally agree. That's the core of a D2C brand. But Cardo, as an investor, I love it because I get the updates from you. I have transparency into the shares that I own. I even look at it like an Ameritrade account as I'm doing a few more angel investments and it's fun to have your portfolio in there. So yeah, there, there's my advertisement for it. But I think your tagline was a little bit better, a founder's best friend. What advice would you give to any D2C founder, direct-to-consumer founder that's starting today? That is another like really good question. There's so many different ways I could go with that. I mean, the number one would be to never lose that curiosity about your consumer and desire to serve them. It's interesting to think about how your job changes from very early on when you're doing consumer insights and having dinner with your customers to ask them questions, and then to move on to when there's inherent financial attention involved in decisions, but just never lose that regardless. I think the second one that is most important is to get your life in order to do a startup before you decide to do it. I, I go back to that conversation I had with my wife about whether we were prepared to do this together because there's there's no separation between us. If I do this, it's, it's us in and she's inherently a part of this, whether she likes it or not. <laughs> and so to, to do the work to make sure that you are prepared to do this both professionally and personally is absolutely crucial. Yeah, I don't think people think they understand that as much as they do, but it's so true. And your, your spouse is a big part of that. So I'm also interested, you were looking at other ideas outside of nursing. Obviously, I think you chose the right idea. Well done. But if you had to start today and do another company, another startup idea, whatever that is, that isn't Bala, what would you do? Any half-baked startup ideas? If we did this podcast three years ago, I probably could have done an entire show about this. I'm sorry. I got nothing for you, Jim. Like I told you, but my biggest challenge is like having a life outside of this. I think about this all the time and my mind like can't go towards other ideas because it's all ball all the time. So like I, I got to take a pass on that question because I got nothing for you. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a pass. I'll give you the mulligan or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I wish I had something for you because that's such a fun question. I just think about Bala all the time. When I bring you back after the Bala IPO, I'll, I'll challenge you again and I'll be much more forceful. Oh, and we'll have such a blast talking about that then. Awesome. All right, last question. I like asking this one just because it's, it's interesting to hear people's take on it, but what's the nicest thing anyone has done for you in your professional career? That is another awesome question. I got to say, it's, it's the support that I've gotten from my wife through this whole process. When you're an entrepreneur, what people tend to see publicly is the success that the, the entrepreneur receives when you achieve some exit and there's an article on Fast Company and all those things. And what's not seen is how difficult doing a startup 
is on all the people around you. There's just inherently going to be shrapnel all over the place because startups are so messy. And again, I, I go back to my wife is she supported me early on. She's been a foundation of support throughout. And I don't think I know I couldn't do this without her. So just her ongoing support dwarfs like anything else in my career. Yeah. And very smart to give a shout out to the missus. So well done. This is awesome, Brian. Where can people find out more about Bala or more about you? Where would you point them? Yeah, first, check out our website, which is wearebala.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-B-A-L-A.com. You can also, I think our Instagram is a blast. Our marketing lead who runs that just does a great job generating discussions. So at wearebala on Instagram is has got to be the best place to really get a feel for our brand and what we're about. No, it is. Again, I'm not a nurse and I follow it and it cracks me up. So it's really good. Well, Brian, thank you. I know you're super busy. I really appreciate the time, but this was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Th thanks so much, Jim. Uh, this was a blast. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.